Hello, and welcome to Tectonic, the podcast that revolves around the seismic shifts in technology, culture, and the digital age. You're listening to episode 33. I am your host, Joe Darnell, and my, my co-host is not with me tonight. Joshua Pfeiffer is actually on a business trip, and he's not going to be back for a few more days. Uh, we record the show a couple of days early, so, well, here we go. Joshua, hi there, wherever you are listening to the show now, after it's been post-produced. With me, co-piloting tonight, is actually our guest, Mr. John Saddington, returning. Let's see here. Uh, John, welcome back. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you. It was many, many episodes ago. You were one of the first on the show. Oh, was that right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's see, the reason, though, that you're such an interesting fellow is that you're quite the developed app developer. (laughs) You have a lot of professional experience under your belt. You created the Desk Text Editor app that's very popular on the Mac App Store. People use all over the interwebs to publish to their blogs and This app is a local app. I don't mean to make it sound like it's a web app, but when I think of desk, I think of writers that are wanting to write something serious for their blogs. You know, the creative types and the professionals that want something streamlined that feels state-of-the-art for the Mac, sort of like from the Yosemite Mac OS X generation. It's a really good app, and we've enjoyed following your story. You're a good writer yourself. Uh, I like to visit your website, john.do. And yeah, you just keep it chugging along there, man. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm having a good time with it. I, you know, Desk in particular has been, um, was a very personal project. And of course, uh, you probably can go back to the, to the first interview if you want more kind of backstory. But it's been, it's just been really fun. It's a, it's a personal project that has done very well uh, in the store. And um, I've been really grateful for the support that the community has shown to it. It's, it's gotten some awards that uh, uh, <laughs> probably, they probably don't deserve. And so anyway, I'm, su- I'm super grateful for it. Desk is on the version 2.1, is it or so? Yeah, it's, we've moved to, to version 2, and kind of one of the big things was I unbundled the product, gave a little bit more um, optionality for a customer to, to buy a particular type of the product, um, depending on their needs. That has gone okay. It wasn't an amazing financial um, boon or anything. There wasn't any kind of like significant uptick, um, but I'm very happy with the results and the, the development time required is very uh, insignificant, hmm. which is nice. So I can do kind of all the updates for all of the versions all at the same time. I wouldn't say it's pure profit in terms of sales because of the uh, additional two applications, but um it's, it's pretty close to it. We will talk a little bit more about the desk apps in a few minutes. But in, in along the way, since the last time we talked as well, you actually relocated to California. And how are you liking it there in San Francisco? Oh, man, I love it. It's been fantastic for us as a family, uh, for me professionally. Um, and then I just needed a break. Get some space from what felt like the roots that ran too deep in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, well, Atlanta was really good. Us, uh, you know, I, I went to Georgia Tech. My wife was a UJ uh, Bulldog. You know, one of our kids was uh, was born there. Our second second child was born there. Um, we have some family there. My twin brother lives there um, with his wife and kids. And so, I mean, just some great roots. And, and my, my wife also has a family in uh, Augusta. So, but uh, professionally, we had kind of reached a ceiling, or at least I had 
not everyone may experience this, uh, but there, there, there comes a point in time where you just feel like you're tapped out. And so I felt like there wasn't really anything more for me to do or for or people for me to meet um, that I felt were going to help me and my professional growth um, in the ways that I wanted to grow. And it wasn't a hard decision. It just felt really, it felt right. Well, then how does California compare for you? I know that you're there where there's a lot more people in your industry now. I know that Atlanta has some, but surely that had to be a major consideration for you. Oh, absolutely. You know, one of the things that had been told to me very early on in life and was just that there's something very powerful about being in the context of your industry um, geographically and that there are other opportunities that can be afforded to you just because you're in a particular place. And I think, you know, when I was in Atlanta and I, and I spent some time in Austin, a very big tech hub as well, you, you try to explain away or at least kind of create some, I think, some mental justifications for, you know, why you can do just as well anywhere, especially given today's technology and the communication tools that exist. And, and I think that's true for, uh, for many, many things. But there's something very unique about Silicon Valley. And I think there's very something very unique about other particular ge- geographies for particular industries. For example, let's take something not related to tech. Let's take Nashville. If if you're into music, and you're in, if you wanted to grow in terms of a music career, a musical career, recording, publishing, writing, I mean, and, and especially if you're in a country music, you you go to Nashville. Like there's just there's no question about it. You just go to Nashville. That's where everyone is that's where the talent is that's where people they they eat live and and breathe country music and so if if that's your goal then you then you should go there because you just have more options you have you meet people who are in that world so the chances of of rubbing shoulders with people who will help you professionally personally and professionally in dramatically increases and in the same way silicon valley for those in the tech industry and um now that i've been here for Man, not even five months, maybe five, six months, maybe. Oh, man, it, it has rung incredibly true. I have met it's a, a ton of great people, uh, many of which and whom I would never have gotten to meet anywhere else just because they're located here. And that has opened an incredible amount of doors, and it's been, it's been awesome. So while you're in California for the foreseeable future, do you think that you're going to steer your career in a new path and develop some new kind of projects? Are you working with new teams? Who's to say? I think one of the neat things about where I am professionally is that I do have a lot of options. I, I have never had this much optionality in my life. I can see that because you've designed everything about at least one app from end to end. And with that kind of a wide gamut of creative potential, that you'd be an asset to a variety of different teams. And then not to mention just, you know, the things on paper on your resume, which all look very good. Yeah. I mean, I've had some neat indie projects. I've worked with some huge teams. I've I've built companies. Um, So I have a kind of a wide breadth and and depth of experience in a number of different areas. uh, am I particularly great at any one of those things? Uh, no, that's probably arguable, but I do have an interesting um, background. In Silicon Valley, interesting can be rewarded, I think. Well, so, interesting and helpful. I yeah. think that that's something that's characteristic about your work. 
just thinking about your blog, that the things that you like to publish about are one way or the other helpful to people. They're, they're inspirational. They, they set the tone for people's values. And you want to encourage people in the right direction for their lives and their work too. So it's not altogether frivolous. Like so many of the people I know on Twitter, you know, great people and I love them to death. But a lot of what they want to do online is just chew the flap. They want to pass the time. They really don't want to talk about work and they don't want to hone their work ethic. They don't want to hone their value and their sense of purpose. But you really seem to steer that in the right direction. You're, you're focusing on the best kind of value you can get out of every aspect of life. And, and, and in subtle ways, sometimes, in other ways, it's more apparent. Yeah. I mean, something I, I may have talked to you about in my first chat with you was just uh, this idea of our kind of my own mortality and, and the very limited time that I have to do very important things or what I hope to be very important things, significant things. I'm not on some, uh, like, you know, large spiritual quest to, to create legacy. I know that's a, that's a word that's thrown around a lot. I think legacy is a byproduct of, of great work and just try to seek it in, intentionally or, or explicitly is a little bit of a too meta for me, but when I, I just, I don't have that much time and no one has that enough time. But, but, you know, I was thinking about legacy recently I was reading a good, a very good book and the advice that this guy gave some of the best I have seen about legacy. Now you could debate his point, but he was asking the question, what's the difference between people who have a legacy and those that don't. And the one surefire difference between those that do and those that don't is that the, the people with legacy leave a lot of resources behind for their descendants, for their families. And that really is a way to, to know that you've made an impact on the people that matter. And it's really, really compelling. I know that these days that a lot of people are thinking about leaving something behind of value, whether it's fiscal or, or other, you know, some property and assets. But if you can leave something behind, it really helps your family in the next 10, 20, 30 years. For instance, in the Darnell family tree, a lot of them had land in North Georgia about a hundred years ago. One of my one of my grandparents, my great grandparents, I mean, he owned thousands and thousands of acres of land. And after he passed away, it just defaulted to his children. Huh. Then they didn't do anything with the property, but little by little it was all for sale, and so little by little it was sold. And every now and then there would be somebody in the the family tree that would say at the you know the, the latest christmas gathering they'd be like oh yeah i got a big check from papa darnell or i got a big check from pop, you know big papa a grandfather that had been dead for many years and eventually that trickled down to my parents who were you know they were receiving checks from property that used to belong to their great grandfather or the and uh, it was just like, wow, that's, that's, that's one surefire way to do it. Huh. And I don't know that a lot of people think about that, but that's, that's something that's on my mind more and more so because legacy is so abstract, right? And not a, little, not a lot of people have really nailed down what a legacy looks like for you know, the next century you know, yeah. for a lot of people. That's, I mean, that's awesome. That is really neat. I, 
I think that would be cool if that was, um, you know, if that happened with my family tree or, or anything like that. It would, it would probably be less about my work and just almost dumb luck if I, if I left anything significant to my family. But I don't, I, I'm not too worried about it at this point. I, there are those who have, um, I have a blog post that I'm actually thinking about writing it. Significant, what I'm calling significant life roadmaps. And I think these people are incredible. These people have a long distance thinking, a philosophy of kind of futuristic uh, perspective that, that I, I can't even fathom. Every day when I wake up, I just think of exactly what I need to do to, get, to, to stay alive and to get through that particular day. And my ability to look very far in the future is uh, severely limited. I think, I think that's a pride, that may surprise a lot of people considering a little bit of my entrepreneurial background. And I'm just not that type of vision caster. I think I, my vision casting is a little bit different. Huh. I totally respect the people who can, can think that far in advance and then make goals and, and kind of create pathways to it. But man, like... When I'm getting like specific, very tactically, when when I get up, I'm thinking about only one thing. My girl's about to get up. I either need to get a crap ton done right now before <laughs> they wake up, before I start feeding them, or I either need to like bail and leave super early before they get up so I can get work done. I mean, <laughs> well, it, it sounds very, it almost sounds too simplistic and a little bit you know, superficial, but that actually is my thinking. And then I just try to make the very best of every single day. Uh, it's, it's very unscientific. Wow. See, given the nature of your career path, I would think that more of it was scientific. But it sounds like your day-to-day -day is a lot like mine. It mirrors my own. I get up at a very specific time. I have the kids' alarm clock set to go off five minutes later. So I have just enough time that I know if they were to leap out of bed and start creating noise immediately and need my attention, at least I have stood out of bed and I've walked to the kitchen and started the heater for the coffee pot. And that's going while I get to confront and, you know, address the issues of the day. So yeah, I, but I feel, I feel for you. That's interesting see that I, I, I plan every day. I use a calendar. I'm living in my calendar. I see my to-do lists. And the thing I struggle with is setting goals for the next month, for the next quarter, for the next year, and really developing those goals, I find those much harder to do, to press for. Mm. Because when I daydream, I naturally slip into visionary tendencies. I start to think about things long-term. But actually thinking like, how am I going to get to this particular objective in my job or in you know the tools I use, where we live, what we're doing with the kids? It's really hard to nail those goals down and actually move towards them and the day-to-day. -day. Mm. Yeah, I mean, everyone, and there are tons of apps and tools and philosophies and GTDs. and We're seeing so much of them now. Yeah, you know, and I, I subscribe to absolutely zero of them. <laughs> now, why is that? Do you think you've seen the whole gamut and you uh, find them lacking? Or It's, it's definitely not due to uh, depth of experience through trial or... I have definitely experimented for sure, but I am by no means an expert in any any particular philosophy. What I have learned over time is to trust that I am uniquely created. I mean, have been uniquely designed, just like everyone else, 
and that you know, the authors of some of these great tools, they created them for themselves. You know, and it just so happens that, that many people on planet Earth also share very similar tendencies, behavioral patterns, psychology, kind of a mental rhythms and uh, kind of behavioral dynamics. But no one is like that person, like David Allen. Like there's only one David Allen. Sometimes people try too hard to fit into a David Allen mold. And, not, and again, not that that mold is particularly bad or it's, it's, it's not good or bad. It just is. Over time, I realized that I, I am far better at far better suited to just trust John Saddington and then trying to almost fabricate an alignment that doesn't could never exist. And so my goal has been, especially the last five, six years when I really started beginning to, to understand a lot of this was find the best system that works for me and be unashamed about it and be guilt free. But it took some time when, when I said, when I would start, started sharing the fact that I don't use any you know, very well known and popular tools and productivity philosophies. I was very, I was very anxious because I didn't want to be looked at as not compliant or, you know, not with it or not contextually relevant. But, but now I'm, I'm very comfortable. I, I don't subscribe to any of those things. I subscribe to the John Sankin model, which it, 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 it works. Who's to say if it's um, incredibly proficient or, or efficient, but man, I, my life's not full of anxiety. It's not full of fear. I get enough done to feed my family, to feel that I'm doing a good job. And when things go wrong, I can recover quickly. That's, that's the most important thing. So yeah, I, I challenge everyone to be more mindful of their own particular uh, philosophy and try to abstract or remove all of the things that they've learned from other different philosophies and methodologies and try to look at it vanilla. Try to look at it a little bit more agnostically and say, okay, well, how much of my productivity is borrowed and how much of it is really authentically me? And, and it, it takes time. I think it takes time to, to figure that out. Hmm. Wow. We could just end the podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Good productivity show. Yeah. <laughs> but the fruits of your labor are worth addressing, of course. And I know in the day to day, these are the nerdier things that are more, in, not more interesting, but more of the example of the work you can do when you have that kind of philosophy. And what we see from the day to day is your writing and your apps. It, am I missing anything that you're working on behind the scenes that you just, you can't allude to right now, but you can say is coming soon? No, there's really, I mean, I have random ideas every once in a while. So, but that this sounds like a tremendous amount of focus. That's really impressive. I just, if I don't feel like I can do a very good job, and, and most things I don't do a very good job, I just I almost get enough to get to get by. But if if I don't really feel like I I can do it service, then I, I abandon it pretty quickly. Uh, yeah, many and many of these listeners probably encounter great ideas all the time, and every single one I think has potential, has significant opportunity, significant legs to it, uh, and, and probably a lot of merit, but, uh, man, like, you know, there's just so, such a small amount of time during the day to get stuff done that to try to fit things in and force things into a schedule that really doesn't, could never exist. 
I, I don't try to do that anymore. And every day's a every day's a struggle. So, but I, I definitely do have a lot of ideas. Hmm. I, I actually, I imagine most of mine are probably suck. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you an example, not just because I, I. So here in San Francisco, they have named the fog. His name's Carl. There's the fog rolls in every day, and there's even a Twitter Carl the fog with spelled with a K <laughs> at Carl the fog. And I looked in the, the iOS app store and there was no Carl the Fog app. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm going to make Carl the Fog app. And I can't remember exactly what you said, but <laughs> essentially that is the stupidest idea. How, you know, don't you dare to spend, like waste any of your time making Carl the Fog app. But I really, I felt like, man, that would be really cool. Like, I'm not exactly sure what it would do. There's this fog that's been personified and his name is Carl. And, so I have ideas like that, and th- that is genuinely dumb. So, <laughs> oh well, I- I've had a few of them of my own that brought to mind. <laughs> that's but that's that's pretty creative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, creative is a gen- uh, generous term. So thank you for that. <laughs> Not at all. Wow, but I I can see why that would tick for at least a, a fleeting second. I remember at the office I used to be in that they would just say, uh, we just have tons of ideas rolling around here. We can't do anything with, we can't get any work done, but we seem to come up with brilliant ideas every day or every other day. And yeah, those were really difficult. I remember those times, it was this one particular phase when we were trying to start a new business and we projected how long it would take to start the business, create its business model, produce the product, establish the branding, to set up the online store, to get it all going. And with our crack team, we had about three and a half people and that half person had another job. So we only had half of their time. We estimated this thing, it'll take a couple of days. This thing will take a couple of weeks, but all of it together would take about three months if everything ran like clockwork. Uh. And I told the guys, I was like, guys, I really feel like I could have a nervous breakdown right now because I want this to be done in two months. And inevitably it took about four and a half months. And that was with all of us just burning at top speed. And all along the way, there'd be those moments where the team would have brilliant ideas and we all would just keep shaking our heads thinking, but what are we doing with all these ideas when we don't have the time to work on them? We really need to get back to the original idea and focus on the project that we started with and establish it. And then we can move on to other ideas once this one's done. And we just don't need ideas. Mm. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> well, so speaking of the original idea, well, I guess it's not the original idea. I'm going to assume you had some others before it. We want to return to the desk PM app. And I just wanted to bring it uh, you know, up to date. What I've noticed is that the design seems a bit more stable. Then, of course, I'm just talking about my, my limited experience with the Desk PM app on two Macs. And when I first used it, it was, I think, version one. And it was working fine, but I just didn't understand maybe a thing here or there. And I'd get a glitch, or at least what I thought was glitchy. Now, I'm just being super honest with you, John. Yeah, I love it. But it was great in and of the idea. Like I love the user interface. I loved that it was a very opinionated writer's app. It felt like it was done by an individual who knew what he wanted 
And he didn't have one arm tied behind his back by the board meetings and the conference meetings and the team that wanted X, Y, and Z. I, I felt like you put everything you needed into this app. So what made Desk PM attractive to me was that it services writing in a focused environment. You could use it uh, for note-taking if you liked. You could use it with Markdown if that was your style, and it certainly is mine. And you could use it as a blogging platform. So if you've finished your work in the, that particular article, you can publish straight from Desk PM straight to your blog, and it would publish to Tumblr, WordPress, Squarespace, and many others. So it covers a lot of bases. And most recently, you've added support for Medium. Is that right? That's right, which is really cool. Yeah. Uh, have you experimented writing with Medium? Oh, yes. I, I definitely have. And I've written some very long-form articles on it. And the experience is fantastic. I actually wrote a pretty significant blog post that got a, a little bit of attention. And uh, essentially, the, the title of the post was what I would, how I would start, start a blog if I were to restart one today. Having r written a blog, been a blogger for the last 14 years, writing every single day, one of the key takeaways from that very long three, 4,000 word blog post was essentially, if I were just to start it all over again today, I would go to medium.com. I'm a huge WordPress fan, been using that for, oh gosh, almost a decade. But if I were to restart it, I would, I would use Medium. It's an incredible experience. It's very clean. And Ev Williams, um, you know, the founder of Blogger and then Twitter and, and now Medium, is just a genius when it comes to digital publishing technology. Um, he's a guy that I would love to work for and if, ever, if ever there was the right opportunity. But I think I could learn a lot from him. But he just knows that, that interface. He just knows that experience. He's kind of the forerunner, um, kind of front runner for, for how that things work. So I got two years ago, I had pinged them asking, begging them for an API. And they just told me, hey, like, it's not even on the roadmap. Uh, so again, this was almost two years ago, exactly. But so I've been very patient. I've waited two long years. Finally, they invited me to a kind of an alpha test of the API. And then uh, I was able to release it like a week or so ago. So it's been awesome. Now that you just have a richer editor at this time, I was wondering... How would you describe what you did by creating the two different editions of Desk PM? Now you got Desk, is it M MD and NT? Yes, Mark, MD for Markdown, NT for note taking. Essentially, I just segmented the product um, for particular types of users for the all purpose publishing and writing app. PM is, is your go to system. For those who don't want to you know, mess with WYSIWYG, a WYSIWYG editor, but just love Markdown exclusively, MD system is, is your choice, and um, you save a couple bucks. And then NT is, there's no publishing involved. Specifically, you don't get to publish to a blog. It's just a note-taking app. So um, for those who just want a clean interface and on the cheap, you can choose NT. And so give some optionality uh, to users who... Uh, as far as I could tell, they were interested um, in that optionality. Now, with these three different versions, you have the, the full version, which is PM. And does PM stand for, what does that stand for? A publishing machine. Oh, okay. Was that the original idea? Yeah. Huh. I just, I, I, when I saw it, I just took it for granted that it meant like PM, like writing in the PM versus the AM. <laughs> no, yeah, it was, uh, I originally was thinking desk publishing machine. 
Uh, Now that just makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. So with the note-taking and markdown additions, what kind of response have you seen from some of the users? You alluded to the effect on the product earlier. I don't imagine get, I mean like I imagine the va- the main value in desk is the PM edition. And so I've been wondering like how many people would be attracted to use this as a, an exclusively a very narrowed note taking sort of app or just a markdown editor. And how do you feel about that and the people who have experimented with that or what kind of feedback are you getting and how do you feel about it? It's actually still too early to to know conclusively how the users have responded or, or what they think. I've definitely got some a little bit of feedback here and there. Um, the, the problem is the the sheer or the lack thereof of, of a large scale number of customers doesn't give me much um, to play with. And so I think as we move into the new year, I'll have more data through volume of of customers to be able to take a look at it, at how people are really thinking about the product. Fiscally, it's been, as I mentioned, not a pure profit play, but it's definitely had a small uptick. Not like super significant, but I've I appreciate that people are buying it. That always feels very good. But I have I have considered moving it all back to uh, one product, so I could just kind of focus fire exclusively on one product. If you went that direction, do you think that you would give people a refund somehow or upgrade them to PM? Oh, for sure. I'd give everyone who bought either version. A uh, free copy of the of the PM. Hmm. So then, back to PM. Then, do you consider PM your main love, and it's what you would use every day? Is it the version you would recommend to someone if they were seriously on the fence, or would you say to people who prefer writing for note taking purposes exclusively, "Oh, stick to note taking"? Yeah, if you, I think the PM is the best value because. I mean, that's the one that's going to have all the features, and that's going to be the model for any continued improvement. And it was the original, as the Macworld article said, the original is still the best, and I think that's true. Right, you're referring to uh, this recent article at Macworld, a straightforward review here, and he was breaking it down and trying to explain the differences of the three different versions What's interesting is they essentially look the same, right? Like you said earlier, Markdown just focuses on the Markdown features, and then PM gives you the Markdown features as well as the WYSIWYG. And then for the last edition, it's not going to service you with all the publishing features. So what you did here is the equivalent of having any sort of app that just says, you know, imagine Pages and Pages Pro and pages light, you know, it's, that doesn't exist, but if Apple wanted to make those three tiers, pages light, maybe it'd be a free version that just came on max. And then pages being this other tier where it was, it was like 10 bucks in the app store and pages pro would be 20 bucks in the app store where you'd expect to get something that was more full featured. That's sort of what you did. So I can see where may, some of the confusion arose because in the Macworld article, the, the author of the review didn't do too kindly towards you because he, the way he sees it, it's just confusing for the shopper when he comes across these different editions. Uh, I can see at first glance maybe why some people would be confused. And at the same time where it's like, well, you know, writers are smart cookies. Uh-huh. <laughs> if they're going to take the time to invest in a product where they're going to get some real writing done, I imagine they have to be somewhat experienced in research. And so a quick shopping experience in the Mac App Store isn't going to kill them if they bother to read the descriptions of one or two versions of Desk to realize 
oh, okay, this one doesn't have all the features. Okay, I'll move on to the one that does. You know, that <laughs> this is just a no brainer. I think perhaps maybe where the creativity is going to trip some people up is in the name uh. because uh, desk is great. And I think the desk is close enough to the purpose of writing that enough people are going to get it. Uh, and when you had one product, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't a huge deal what PM stand, stood for. Uh. But when now with NT and MD and uh, PM, I think that people are not forced to learn the differences between them, but they can look at the price tag and realize, okay, well, the one that goes for $20 probably has more value. And even if they just wanted to make a quick purchasing decision and they had two seconds to make it, they'd probably go for desk PM. Um, uh. This is my gut feeling. And again, I can't speak for everyone, but my guess is we're overthinking this. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that the review on Macworld overthought this as well. And like I said, it's, it's really simple. You, you created three tiers. You have the light standard and pro editions. And uh, kind of wish that people could understand that a little bit better. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, yeah, everyone's entitled to you know their 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 opinion about to get fusion or not. But uh, ultimately, I've, I've got every piece of criticism imaginable at this point um, for these products. And it was a bold move, though. Yeah, I think you did something pretty interesting. An interesting take on what you could do for for the product on the Mac App Store. You know, this is something I wanted to get to a little bit later, but I don't want to take too much time to discuss it. Uh, how how are you liking the Mac App Store and working with the Mac App Store team? I haven't seen any reason that you would want to move away. No, yeah, I've been I've been very happy. I, I think uh, diversifying to uh, selling direct, which is what a lot of people suggest, um, is a good business move. Or, and, and more specifically, a lot of people moving towards web apps. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, this is this has been good, and it's sim simply a limitation time for me. I, I just don't have enough time to do to do it otherwise at this point. Hmm. And uh, I'm not going to get better if if things uh, you know fluctuate up and down, or if if the powers that be change things significantly within the the ecosystem or uh, the policies uh, they are in. Like like oh well, what am I going to do? Like cry? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> you just. You kind of smile and you say, you know, thank you for allowing me this opportunity to to build something that makes a few bucks here and there, and and then you move on. Like I just, I don't take it personally at this point in time. And I think you would have your options if it came to the point that you could not build your product the way you wanted. Then you could make a different kind of app for a different kind of platform. It's not going to be the end of the world. Yeah, that's for sure. The internet's becoming bigger every day. <laughs> um, well, then lastly, in the last few minutes that we have for the show, I wanted to call attention to one of the great sections of your website. Again, at john.do slash goodies. Yes. I don't know that I was aware of this section before. You have written a variety of pieces about blogging and your recommendations, your tips, your guides, so to speak for you would advise others to take their blogging professionally or just to get better output from it and make a, a better impact with it and improve their skills. Uh, let's see here. You have pieces like the blogging starter kit. You have quick WordPress starter kit. You also have 
pieces on advertising, ad, Google AdSense, SEO, things that we've brought up from time to time on the podcast. I think a lot of our listeners are the creative types. Podcasters tend to be um, people who are willing to try out new mediums first. And if you're listening to this, I imagine you're one of those people, one of those smart people out there who want to give new mediums a try. John, you, you pointed out earlier how, how you feel about medium. Well, a lot of people are really hesitant to actually use the platform, right? But the people who do are getting a tremendous value from it because a lot of people are willing to read the content no matter the source. And when it comes together in such a way where this particular source actually adds a lot of value and some sense of community is rallying behind it, it's exciting. And a lot of things are gelling. Uh. So blogging today then, you said earlier that if you were starting in the present, you would probably make a Medium blog. Do you think that, that you would just recommend people go to Medium, create an account, and if they feel compelled to write, they, they focus in on the topics that they are vested in and write on a consistent basis at Medium? Or would they want to also have their own blogging site in addition to their Medium platform? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I think time is the most important factor for anyone, for everything, actually. It's our most valuable and limited resource. So you should choose the tool, the tools that maximize your impact and minimize the use of your time. And, and then you should just, you should choose one, you should experiment, see if it, it kind of meets your expectations. And if it doesn't, go try something new. Don't feel so bogged down by kind of serious due diligence or research because at this point in time a lot of the factors that people used to think that were important like like deep level seo optimization and, and stuff like that 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 no longer really applies like it is more important that you write and it is more important especially on the web that you are creating things that are indexable that people can read that people can help uh, you know opportunities for people to understand you as a creative or you as a uh, professional. So yeah, just, just choose one and go. Like it really doesn't matter. People will make significant long winded arguments about X, Y, Z tool or product being superior or the best in class. I, I don't buy any of that at this point in time. Like I have seen people be incredibly successful on very outdated systems and tools. I had a perfect example that comes to immediately to mind, uh, especially in blogging world, is Seth Godin, who uses TypeBad of all things, and that 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 tool is backwards. I mean, <laughs> I built integration to that tool for Desk, and then I pulled it because it was so bad. <laughs> but he uses it. He blogs like every day. He's incredibly successful. It is a tool that works for him, and who gives a flip what people think? Like he doesn't care. Mm. And so, I, at this point, it just works for him, and that's the most important thing. It works for him. I've actually had a conversation with him about it because I was told, "Hey, like I made an integration with TypePad, and you, you know, here's here's a copy of Desk. You try it out." And he was like, "Eh." <laughs> <laughs> it really was like meh to it because he has a very unique writing system, and I, I can dig it up in my emails, but I can't. He actually explained it to me, and his system just felt so archaic. To me, it is not archaic and like, it's not like Luddite style, but it, it was to me, it was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that's how you write. Like what? But it doesn't matter how he writes. 
it, it, it works. And so anyway, the point is you should do what works for you and then don't feel guilty about it. Very interesting. Okay, so then in the past, you've recommended WordPress. And how do you feel about WordPress today? It's still useful. It's, it's still very useful. It's, it's a great tool. It has. I think been, that as far as like versatility and customization, it is still the widest in use, but I'm not. Yeah, it's the most widest in use, but it, it definitely has, it used to be strictly blogging, and now it's definitely a content management system, which means that it has more utility in, in other ways, which could be a bad thing, good thing or bad thing, depending on your, your perspective. But it means it's, just, it's a heavier product, and some people are purists, and they want a more trim and focused product. But it works. It works for me, it, and I've been using it for, oh, yeah, as I said, almost a decade at this point. And yeah, I feel good about continuing to use it, at least for now. To wrap up blogging today, any other thoughts that you would like to share? And, uh, of course, I'm recommending that everyone check out the resources that you have together there on your goodies page. Anything else that you would like them to glean and reasons that they might want to check them out? You know, I've, I've written a lot. I think at this point in time, I'm just having a good... I'm enjoying the writing process more than I ever have. And it's not because I'm writing necessarily quantitatively more. I'm just enjoying the process. I'm going through a season where I, I just love writing. I haven't always loved writing, even though I've done it every single day for, uh, publicly for the last, I guess, 50, almost 15 years. And I'm just enjoying the season of just, hey, I get up, I write, I like it. It's not necessarily better. You know, there's still tons of grammatical errors, but I'll take it. Awesome. John, I'm ready to wrap up for this episode. We've been recording late and it's a little after midnight tonight. I'm ready to call it a night. Thank you for the great discussion, John. Yeah, thank you so much for having me again. And where would you like people to catch up with you? I'm de- I am I made a Twitter change, uh, I guess, uh, I can't remember, sometime this year, maybe twice this year, I think. But I'm using um, a new Twitter handle, at 8-bit, the number 8-B-I-T. Love it. Just like 8-bit retro gaming. I think it's the best handle ever. <laughs> did, did you have to, how much did you have to pay for that? Zero dollars. <laughs> Unbelievable. There's a longer story involved around that, but... It's amazing. I have it. And so you can find me there at twitter.com slash 8-bit. All right. Well, thank you again, John. This is going to be the end of uh, Tectonic episode 33. We're so glad that you could join us. If you don't already have them, you can find the show notes with links at tectonic.fm slash 33. If you're looking for us on Twitter, I am underscore Joe Darnell. My absent co-host is Joshua Pfeiffer. And the show is Tectonic FM. And if you'd like to send us a private message, anything that you'd like to share with us or like us to follow up on in an, a future episode of the show that you don't care to share on Twitter, then you can email those to hello at tectonic.fm. And if you would like to do us a huge favor, then please feel free to rate us and review us on iTunes. I'm Joe Darnell. Thanks a bunch for listening to the Tectonic Podcast. Podcast.